Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we are welcoming back Nathan Gillis. Uh, he is a demonologist, and uh, he has some really interesting information to share with us, and um, thanks for coming back on. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be here, and uh, I'm really excited to, get, to, to be on again and uh, kind of rehash some of these ideas with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you know, I'm really glad to have you back because since the last time we talked, I have uh, covered this topic pretty more extensively than I had before. So I'm a little bit, I have a little bit more um, knowledge on it, at least from a, another perspective, you know, of people worshiping demons, conjuring demons, communicating with demons. Mm-hmm. Um, I even recently interviewed somebody this week who um, had has had conversations and made deals with Lucifer. Right. So, so I, I, I've heard, a whole lot of new stuff to talk about with you. <laughs> well, let's get into it, brother. But, you know, there, there's a lot of us in the field and there's a lot of different ways to approach it. So uh, I'm just glad to, to be in the field with amazing people. Awesome. So give my listeners a, a, a quick background on, on what you do and who you are. Well, I am a researcher and I'm a demonologist by discipline. And so while I don't worship demons or make deals with them, I I try my best to understand the way they think, their worldview, and what it is that they're after. Uh, So so mainly whenever, I'm also like what's called a researcher and investigator. So anytime someone um, has a, a demonic attachment upon them personally, or they may have like a demonic manifestation in a home, uh, people will call me to either confirm a demonic presence or actually do a cleansing. And so I kind of do, I kind of uh, cut from um, both ways there. Interesting. Um, So actually this week I was talking to somebody who called themselves a demon seer. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned like three things that a person should not ever do. Mm -hmm. Um, One was conjure a demon. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the second thing was doing seances and divination and a third one was paranormal investigation. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I've done all three of those. Right. And, I, and I've come out unscathed. Correct. You know? I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I never had any, what I would call encounters or, or anything unusual happen during any of those episodes or things that I've tried. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but nothing dark or evil has ever attached itself to me. Right. I've never done any type of protection on myself. Why is it that I wouldn't have any issue? Well, it's it's not that you haven't encountered a demon. You probably have. It just didn't take interest in you. You know what I mean? And I, I'm not one of those people that is as conservative to say, you know, I wouldn't recommend investigations. Uh, you know, everybody has their own opinions and their own advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's not to say that you haven't encountered them. You know, I, I know for a fact that I've had cases where, um, I've picked up a demonic presence, but it wasn't because it was manifesting in unusual ways. It was there, uh, but it wasn't attaching itself to anybody. It wasn't kicking, scratching, or biting, and it certainly wasn't manifesting as an incubus or succubus. 
And so, you know, that, that would be my, my response to you. It's not that they haven't been there, but if, you know, if they have, they, they really haven't bothered with you. And that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. It's also a little insulting though. Not really. You know, I, I mean, my fingers are kind of hurt. Like, come on, you know, I am somebody. Well, it's not that, you know, I mean, it's the fact that they have their own agenda. And, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> exactly. Like, why is everybody else getting possessed and harassed by demons and I'm not? Exactly right. It makes you just kind of like, you know, what's going on with me, man? Am I something wrong? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like, it's like sitting by myself at the lunch table in high school. <laughs> yeah. Only difference is the people that want to take your lunch are preternatural. <laughs> <laughs> Formerly human beings. No big deal. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Um, so I, I know you have like some, uh, you know, and, and I really enjoyed listening to this last time. And I think this will be a, another good place to sort of to start off. Yes, sir. Is, um, is, is your theory, your, your theory on where demons come from and what they are? I, I remember like it has something to do with Nephilim. Yeah, what we're dealing with are people who were formerly human and it doesn't really take that much research once you get back into antiquity go back to the cradle of civilization which is mesopotamia and sumer uh, long before we even had an idea of what a demon was what we had were what are called hungry ghosts which were essentially demons but you know they had the demonic name but they were uh, people that lived and died and were restless and so for whatever reason they, they either they either because they didn't get a proper burial or they didn't get offerings or, or for whatever reason uh even sometimes it's a violent death but these were the entities that would haunt homes create havoc in the world and inspire diseases and bodies and so that is the um, origin of the idea of the demon and so we, we know that for many reasons, but that is my that is my position as it stands tonight. Um, so it has nothing to do with angels being cast out of hell oh, that decided to follow it, Lucifer. It does, in the sense that the Nephilim um, were not angels as 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 the the Bible would like us to believe. And that's not, again, I come from the Christian tradition. I'm not undermining the legitimacy of the Bible. I'm simply saying that by the time Genesis 6 was written, uh, there had been at least a thousand years of this legend preserved in ancient texts. Right. And so one of the ways that I, in my research, tried to understand what these people were trying to say is that I, I went and researched what's called comparative etymology. And so I looked at the word Nephilim and said, okay, were there any neighboring religions at the time this was written who employed that same word? You know what I mean? Same thing with Rephaim and Malachim, which is the Hebrew word for angels. So I said, you know, what, what about Sumer? What about the Akkadian language? What about the Phoenician language? Uh, what, you know, or did they have a terminology that referred to the Rephaim. And, and when, I, when I went there, I, I got a better understanding of what the Hebrew consciousness was trying to communicate. So, I mean, look at the Hebrew word Malachim. The, the, Malachim, the Hebrew word Malachim is angel, but if you look at the comparative etymology, 
like where the word where the word came from. Does that make sense? You follow me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, if you look at where the word Malachim came from, it came from a word that means deceased ancestors, ghosts. Right. So that's why even when you go into the Rephaim, which are supposed to be the giants in Genesis 6 and all that, that also means deceased ancestors. So what we're looking at in Genesis 6 is, is a narrative, not of fallen angels, but it's of apparitions. Now, I don't remember um, if I if I talked to you guys about the Apocryphon of John last time. Um, do you remember that at all? <laughs> uh, no, I don't really remember. Okay. So in my research regarding Genesis 6, um, I was after one thing. I wanted to know what the victimology was. I wanted to know what I call the, the pathology was, right? What is their behavioral pattern in Genesis 6? You know, so, so I got into what's called the Apocryphon of John. And the Apocryphon of John is a Coptic manuscript preserved by Egyptian monks. It details in a very, a very um, alarming way exactly what happened in Genesis 6. It's said that these entities, let's just call them angels for now, just so I don't have to you know, upset the apple cart too much. But <laughs> uh, these angels literally waited until these wives, like these, these women, their husband left. So these angels literally waited until the husband went out to get some food or if he went to the grocery store. I don't know what, what case it was, but the husband had left the house. And then these entities show, would show up at, in mass in different houses, different women. But these entities would manifest in the image of the husband. And so in order to get an understanding of what's actually happening, we have to picture a woman who's in bed. And what she thinks is her husband walks in the door and then climbs in bed with her. And so then these entities begin to coerce these women into intercourse. And then, and then the Apocryphon of John says that at the moment of conception, wink, wink, the moment of conception, these creatures looked into the eyes of these women and then reversed their image to what they originally looked like. Mm-hmm. And they were not fallen angels, but they were apparitions. Now, now, well, when I when I first read that, I kind of got a chill that ran the back up to the back of my spine because, in order to understand the ritual they were performing when they looked into the women's eyes and then reversed their apparition, we have to go back to an ancient obstetric tradition. An obstetric tradition, obstetric rather, it's just a, a fancy word that it's it's a reference to childbearing and fertility. But the ritual they were performing was based upon the belief that whatever man the woman was focused upon at the moment of conception, that that image, that apparition, that picture, whatever she's looking at, she will bear in her womb the material image of as a child. And so these entities, their entire purpose in Genesis 6 was to create a body in the womb of the woman that looked like their apparition. 
And I'll stop there and I'll ask a very profound question. What would be the purpose, right? What would be the purpose of that? Uh, a human body? Yes, sir. One that looks like them, right? And so that kind of pointed me in the direction of, of asking the question of, do, do, you know, do we understand the phenomenon of possession correctly? Because a lot of the possessions, 99% of these possessions in modernity and in history, they're transient. It's almost as if these entities will pick people out of a crowd, they'll step into them, they'll commandeer their consciousness for a period of time, and then they'll leave. Now, in Genesis 6, that's not what's happening here, right? These mm -hmm. entities are not looking to possess random people or to haunt dear Aunt Edna when she's making her favorite chicken noodle soup. Th these entities are wanting a body that they can permanently possess, a body that looks like their apparition. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the main reasons why I'm, I'm saying that these were entities that were formerly human. And they were just trying to recreate themselves in a way. That certainly sounds viable. You know, one of the things that um, that came up I th was one of my listeners was listening uh, to the interview, the last one we did. Mm -hmm. And they posted on my Facebook page um, an interview of, of all people, Billy Corrigan from Smashing Pumpkins on Howard Stern. Mm -hmm. And Billy Cor Corrigan says that he was making love to a woman. Yeah. And during the moment of climax, she turned into a demon. Right, right. It's a it, 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 yeah, yeah. And um, and then I looked into it a little bit further, and I've discovered like there's people um that are even purposely trying to have sex with demons, right? Just right. just for the for the sexual gratification, because yeah. they don't have to have a partner. Oh, trust me. Yeah, this is this is an ex-girlfriend you do not want to have. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, it's 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 such a fascinating subject. Uh, I, you know, I do a lot of shows. I think I've done like sixty shows this year alone, and therefore I've had women that have contacted me privately, and uh, they've encountered what the, these molters, what I call them, but they've encountered these molters. And they said that uh, they've had dreams where these incubi, molters, would come to them and then uh, they would induce them into intercourse in the dream. And then these entities would realize uh, that these women, uh, they did not have wounds, right? They, they had that surgery. I still forget. I always forget. Yeah, hysterectomy. Hysterectomy. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, they had hysterectomies. And one woman was actually uh, distraught because she said that when these entities realized that she had had a hysterectomy, they begin to verbally assault her, verbally abuse her in the dream. And then the entire phenomenon just evaporated into nothingness. So that, I mean, that's not just one woman that said it. I have tons of them that have come to me uh, telling me that. And so my, my point being is that now that we understand the victimology and sexual pathology, of Genesis 6, then now we can kind of understand that these entities were incubus. That's what they were, or incubi, plural, right? And right. and that's what we've been calling them, but we didn't know it at the time, right? We, At least in my tradition, when I was growing up, I just thought, okay, these are angels, no big deal. They took wives and, you know, they had kids. They went out and maybe they did their own lawn. Maybe they hired somebody. This is a lot more sophisticated, 
mm-hmm. than uh, what many think it is. Now, is that their only purpose is to um, find bodies that they can possess or create the bodies to possess? Um, or do they have, a, do they have another agenda? Um, Let's see. Like, like such as like, um, you know, there's, there's groups out there such as like the Illuminati and stuff like that. Um, you know, where there's like this supposedly a, a darker agenda that's being, you know, supported by a legion of demons. Right. Well, I do believe that in terms of the Illuminati, that there would be some demonic activity. These entities are very unique in the way they operate. Uh, To answer your question, their interests are two-tiered. One interest is to to take seed, I won't say the other word, uh, but they would take seed either from a recently deceased male or from a succubus, you know, trapping a man in a dream. They would take that seed and they would try to implant it into a living woman. The purpose of that, and they usually do it through an incubus encounter, by the way, but the purpose in doing that is to impregnate that woman with a child. That's tier one. The second uh, purpose they have in this is that once the child is created in the womb, what they will then do is they will snatch the consciousness out of it and then replace that consciousness with either their own or someone else's. Mm -hmm. They've been doing this for thousands of years. Matter of fact, when you go back into Genesis 6 and strip the vowels from the word Nephilim, because they didn't have vowels when that text was written, uh, but if you strip it of the vowels it has, you have the word Hebrew word for unexplained, unplanned pregnancies and stillbirth. This is one of the ways that they have uh, been re-entering our world is, you know, they, they will impregnate a woman, kill the baby in the womb, and then, and then place their consciousness inside of it. Is this okay to talk about? I don't want to get too dark. Oh, no, man. Anything goes on this podcast. Okay. So. Yeah, you, um, you, you can't get too dark or, okay. you know. So that's and, what they've been doing. <laughs> what happens to these children as they mature? Do they fully mature and become functional adults and enter yes. society and get jobs? And or they, and do they function as good people or do they instantly become evil people? I don't think they come in. They, I don't think that they're instantly evil people. The, the purpose of possession was always to possess people and then to be hidden, Right not to be seen until they truly want to act. Uh, so, so let's go back into how these entities have mutated in history okay. because they have, they've evolved. It's not like, you know, they, they've been a monolith. They've actually learned and they've adjusted their program according to our awareness of it. And so what, what they were doing in the past is they started out with impregnating our women. And then once that took place, they be, then they begin to possess people on a large scale. So like in the 16th century in a, a province in Israel called Safti, we had an explosion of demonic possession. They, so much so that the scholars called it the age of the demoniac. And during these case studies, these exorcists were dealing with possessed people. Some possessions 
were bad, you know, and they they were some some were good, you know. Some were some possessions were simply people that would actually possess a, a young adult and say, you know what, I need you to solve my murder, or I need you to go bury my body, or I need you to pray for me. Th- those kinds of possessions, but but as it as it progressed in time, they're 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 It's crazy. They're manifested a new phenomenon in the way that possession showed up. So they would have cases where uh, demoniacs would come to the exorcist, and they would say that I had an 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 experience with an incubus spirit in the night. It would come to them and say, you know what? I'm your husband, or it would come to them in their favorite ethnicity. It seduced them in a dream state. And the next thing, the next thing they know, the woman is possessed, and so she, she goes to the or the priest or the exorcist, and the exorcist would actually witness these possessing entities crawled up in their wombs, like a baby. Some were some were even in the fetal position. Uh-huh. And it made these women look like they were pregnant with child. And so that's the that's another mutation. It's a, it was it was an incubus through and through. It was it did exactly what an incubus does. And it was, but its entire purpose was not to just impregnate the woman, but it was to impregnate her with its own consciousness. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, that's how they've mutated. That's how they've evolved, which leads me to my next point. Is possession pregnancy to them? (laughs) Yeah, is it? Right, it is. Absolutely, it is. We've seen possession as disincarnate consciousness um, taking over a human body. To them, it's pregnancy. It's literally a, a an early form of life. That this is this is not just Nathaniel Gillis saying this. It was so understood in the middle medieval ages uh, that their physicians and demonologists even called incubi larva, because larva was the early form of life. Right. Right. It's it's a fascinating research, man. I love it. It's very interesting. Um. So, but, but when, when we're going through like 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 people that I encounter every day, is it possible that any of them are actually uh, bodies that are possessed by demonic yes. souls? Yes, one hundred percent. Is there is there a way to tell? Uh, not unless they want to be seen. So I can't throw holy water at them or anything. You could try. You can try. It may work. It may not. I mean, these, some of these entities don't even believe in, in holy water, hmm. you know? So it's just, it's, it's a wide, wide phenomenon. It's, it's very difficult to encapsulate in one sentence, but that's what they're doing. They're not just switching out consciousness, right? They're not pulling out a person's consciousness and then replacing it. They're actually taking bodies and then replacing it with clones. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's so fascinating. That's why in the Apocryphon of John, it also says that in Genesis 6, they were making copies of bodies. We would call them clones, right? Yeah. They're like twins. And so, I mean, it, it essentially, and I get, I mean, that, that's what I'm putting in my book, The Skin That Crawls. It's already out for pre-order. 
But that's what I'm putting in it is uh, is that these entities have mutated. Number one, number two, they're still doing it, but they're doing it in the in the form of human UFO abduction. Hmm. That that's their new uh, that's their new mutation, at least. And we can go down that rabbit trail if you want. <laughs> you can, yeah. In, in a minute, I, I still have a couple more questions about this because like, I'm thinking about this, right? And I'm thinking, okay. I'm a demonic entity myself. Like uh, to say, I'm, I'm just this this this, this disincarnate right. consciousness, and I know I can go and and, and, and do this. I I can take on a, somebody a body mm-hmm. and, and make clones of it, and basically, you know, when that body dies, keep doing it over and over again. Exactly. So that means there's no real. I, I would be aware that there is really no consequences to my actions because if my b- body dies, I yep. can just clone or get a new one. Correct. Um, so self-preservation. So, so, so you could, I could, would be able to live without any type of care. Like nothing would really matter to me. Um, you would have a yeah. You would have a different morality. So so you would be able to sort of. So we're just kind of like sick back and and I mean I mean if it was me I would just be self indulgent. You, you would, know, yeah, I, you I, I would go job. for the pleasure, you know, the the, the right. sex, the drugs, and right, and money, and, you know, I, I would just go all out uh, on, you know, the pleasures that you, you we have as a result of being in a physical form. You're, you're exactly right. It's it's self-preservation, but I mean, when we if we took them in context and said, okay, if we did experience them in person, or if we had one of those in our city and and actually shook their hand, what would it be like? Well, number one, they would appear to be as gods among us. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, they would put their pants on like we do every day, uh, but it would be more than that because you're dealing with somebody who has died who understands that next dimension and yet his is back embodied once again. And so it's, it's kind of like, um, it's very difficult to explain. It's kind of like somebody knowing all of the rules, knowing what really matters right beyond dogma and then coming back into a body and saying, okay, now I know the whole game. I know how it's played and I'm going to use the cheat codes. Does that make mm-hmm. sense at all? <laughs> Absolutely. Because that's exactly what I would do if yeah, I were there. Makes sense. And that's what they did in Genesis 6. You know, they, they were called, I mean, Nephilim and giants, but whenever people would encounter them, it was like, oh my God, what is this? Because they're incredibly intelligent, they're incredibly violent, and they're selfish. They're they're mm-hmm. narcissists. And so I, I do think that's going on. And I would look at the least the top one percent in the world and say, okay, is it possible? <laughs> You know what are we looking at here? Yeah. Like, 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 it almost makes you think. Um, I don't know if you ever read it. You ever read Picture of Dorian Gray? I have not. Uh, but, but, well, the guy that he 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 makes a, a deal with some kind of spirit where his painting gets old and suffers while his body stays the same. Wow. So, so he just lives this like crazy life, and he doesn't have any consequences of it. But he always looks at the painting, and the painting is getting old, ragged, and stuff like that. He, right. He sees himself deteriorating in the painting. Yeah. You know, makes sense. And, it's, 
And meanwhile, he's, uh, you know, doing opium and, and all this crazy stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I would imagine that's the way it would be for these entities because they know, like you said, they yep. know all the rules now and they know yep. what they can do. Exactly right. They know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's way different. It's a way different thought than, than anything that I grew up thinking, honestly. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, they would be demigods among us. They, they would know almost everything they need to know. You know what I mean? And you could actually shake their hand and they could be your best friend one second. And, and, and you think you know them. And then, they're, you know, it, it, it's not the case. They're a completely different person. But uh, that, that's why I always tell people uh, that it's not just that they're intelligent, but they're, they're, there's a part of them that has a different morality than us. Mm-hmm. And so they think differently. Um, and that's, again, that's why it's very important to compare and contrast ancient demonology with ancient um, ancestral worship, because, you know, the, the, it's, it's very interesting because the demons also have the same uh, values, belief systems and offerings as your deceased ancestors. And that's one of the reasons why I snuck this out and said, OK, wait a minute, this doesn't really make sense anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um- it, I'm sorry. So, so do these demons? Um, do you think like they are able to recognize each other in yes. physical form? Like, like yes, you know, they, they see each other walking down the street and they kind of give themselves like the secret wave or something. Yeah, they they have a language. It's very intriguing. They have a language that is not human, and we know that because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Amorites first encountered this apocalyptic species of evil when they went into Canaan and they had a name for them that was Zamzumim. And so Zamzumim, when you take the meme off of it, you have Zamzum, which is singular, Zamzum. And the reason they called these entities Zamzum is not because uh, Zamzum was a, a concrete title for them, but Zamzum was a word that the Amorites used because the word Zamzum, the sound, was the most like what their language sounded like whenever they would communicate to each other. So these entities, their language was a a chattering, a muttering, and a buzzing sound. And so they they just called them Zamzum because Zamzum, the word itself, sounded like the language. They spoke to each other, and it wasn't human. It sounds a little bit like what I've heard people describe um, as the way uh, like a, a Sasquatch would talk. I have heard that too from many people. I haven't investigated that yet, but wouldn't that be amazing? I, I, <laughs> be well, I, I, I interviewed, um, I think his name was Ron Moorhead, okay. and he has a couple of CDs out and they're recordings of, of Squatches talking. Oh, wow. It's like the sounds of Bigfoot. And, uh, and that's exactly what he had uh, described to me. Wow. I need to, I need to look him up then. Maybe I'll find his, uh, his interview on your show here. Mm-hmm. But uh, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? That'd be a, I don't know about the tie-in, but my God, the language is definitely there. Yeah. Yeah, because it it's described as this weird, almost human yeah. type of chatter. There we go. And... And one of the uh, interesting things about this, too, is when you get into that chattering, buzzing language, 
that these entities have, it's a direct reference to necromancy, which is what they are, you know, necromancers essentially, but mm-hmm. it's a reference to necromancy. In um, Isaiah 8 and 19, Yahweh is talking about people that go and consult with necromancers, and he says that these, these people, would they would chatter, they had a buzzing language, they would chirp, and they would mutter, which is exactly what these entities do. And so one thing that tells me is that when people, when these entities first die, that they learned a new language, and that they're using that language to communicate to each other. And and uh, we don't know what it is. Like, we can't interpret it yet. I actually have a necromancer scheduled for Thursday afternoon. Very cool. My show. Very cool. Very cool. You have no idea how hard it is to find a necromancer. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of fakes out there. And I'm not saying, obviously, I'm not saying your person's fake at all. I hope to God nobody misunderstands what I'm saying. So obviously, you know, it's hard to find a real one too. So I completely understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was in the, uh, I belong to a, well, I did belong to this podcast group for finding guests. Yeah. And I put it in there that I was looking for a necromancer and they kicked me out. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, some people it's, it's tough. I mean, we, that stuff is a, a very interesting art. I mean, in biblical antiquity, um, their their form of necromancy was stealing bodies out of the grave or mm-hmm. literally killing people and then using their body to uh, conjure a spirit and put it in. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting subject, but it really, it's just demonic possession. That's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. They're just using a, a human body to yeah. inhabit it. You know, that's, from what I've read, the person you want the body to be fresh within 24 hours yep exactly right that's why uh in your burial rites in antiquity they would try to bury their people very quickly very quickly because you know they're afraid they knew what was going on (laughs) you know as as opposed to us in modernity they they had a good idea of what to fear and what not to fear do do you know or are you aware of any people that are um, public figures that are actually demons? I do not. That's again, once I, once I get this skin that crawls into the hands of people and I can kind of put that aside, my research is going in that direction because uh, I, I have a, some of my favorite authors have detailed in their works who they thought were molters in their time. And one of them was Merlin. Merlin was a, uh, a byproduct, the progeny of an incubus encounter. Right. Yeah. So again, that, that idea of being a demigod, but I don't know in my, in this time and age, who is and who isn't. Um, what I would look for though, is not just fame and money, but I want to look at behavioral patterns. You know what I mean? It's, it's a lot like when I sit down and I analyze serial killers and their victimology, I'm looking for memory and motion, whatever doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something ancient, uh, maybe a ritual or a belief that they have that makes them stand out. Because mm-hmm. honestly, that's where I think that these entities are seen the most. It's not just, okay, you know, they have a Bentley, a Rolls Royce and a, a yacht, uh-huh. you know, high five. What, what, what areas of you are manifesting that really doesn't belong in the, in the 21st century. I think that's a fascinating aspect of this research as well. That is an interesting one. How about Tom Cruise? 
What well, I would say he would be a good candidate. He would be a good candidate. I mean, just just because of how many stunts he's succeeded in and not died when he could have. I mean, you know, like I'm not trying to be funny, but my God, you know, how many times has he done a stunt where he's like hanging on the end of a plane and all this stuff? And he's just fearless. But I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. I, I do know that some of his beliefs are, uh, you know, they're in the Scientology and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole nother, whole nother show. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because because maybe that's how the, you know. Oh, yeah. It would be a good way for them to manipulate. It would be. And it would be a good way for them to create a new religion. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, especially with those who are familiar with Scientology to create a new religion under the guise of, okay, it's, you know, this is the new best thing. And this is the truth. In reality, it does seem like in one, one way or another, they're, they're describing disincarnate consciousness. Absolutely. That's you know, the, the idea of, of putting evil souls in a volcano and having it erupt and right. taking over bodies. Oh yeah. I, it, I mean, how, how could they not be, <laughs> you know, almost, and you're right. And there's a, a massive link between Hubbard, L. Ron Hubbard, and Aleister Crowley. I didn't know that. Yeah, a huge link because L. Ron Hubbard was a, a science fiction writer before he even created yeah. Scientology. And so, so there were three characters that were created or that were linked together during that entire time when they created the religion. It was L. Ron Hubbard, um, Jack Parsons, and Aleister Crowley. And so if there was a religion, let's, let's okay, let's, let's kind of just dig into this real quick if we can. If there was a religion in the world uh, that would pass on these morals and these truths, it would have been Scientology, but I don't think it would have been under a good guise. You know what I mean? It would almost as if it's like, it's like somebody who writes a, he writes truth who writes nonfiction, but in, in a book that's written to be fiction, like you would only find it in the fiction area of the bookstore. So that that's worth considering very much. So. Yeah. I, I'm going to go on record and say that I think Tom Cruise is some type of demonic entity. <laughs> okay. That's fun. I'll have to research <laughs> that later on. I just, if I find out if he is, you know, it's going to ruin all of my childhood memories of watching him on Mission Impossible. <laughs> like that demon. Oh my God. Oh, and like, what's that other? I mean, he did that one movie, that satanic movie. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah. 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 That was creepy, though, wasn't it? Oh my God. I never watched it. No. Um, even though I did have a crush on whatever her name is, Nicole Kidman. Right. Beautiful. But it was just too creepy for me, honestly. It was almost like I was in the Bohemian Grove looking at a ritual taking place. Hmm. Well, the Satanists do have the best orgies. You got to give them that. that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, this this research is it's most fascinating. Lately here, what I've been doing is trying to understand the comparisons and contrasts between this this phenomenon and UFO abduction. And it's, it's looking to be the exact same thing. So with UFO abduction, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recently did a really in-depth, uh, a couple of really in-depth interviews. One was with, um, I think his name was Preston Bennett. And I also recently interviewed an alien abductee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't posted that one yet. I think that would be tomorrow. Um, and based on what both of those, you know, what I got from both of those interviews is that there is government involvement in these abductions. Right. So if right. there's government involvement with these abductions and it has to do with actual demons, that means the government is in league with the demons. Okay, so yeah, I am a proponent of my lab abductions or my lab in, in general. I am. Um, what I think is because I don't, I don't think there's been enough research into that in terms of understanding their pathology, right? Because a lot of times we will have abductees who will say, okay, you know, I was abducted and I had this man working on me and I had this person and this, this uh, entity and all that. But I don't think we have enough evidence in terms of my lab abductions. Um, military abductions to to give us enough data to say okay this is what those abductions are after does that make sense right okay that's just my humble opinion um, now we do however have a, a compendium uh, of abductions like just being ets where we can kind of see what they're truly after and what they're doing and in terms of, of that phenomenon you look at Dr. Carla Turner's work, you looked at David Jacobs, uh, Bud Hopkins, John Mack, all of them, you can kind of see that these entities were taking semen seed from men, just like a succubus would, and then implanting it into a woman, just like an incubus would. Mm-hmm. However, what's also interesting is this, we do not know if, if what they're experiencing is a screen memory. In other words, they could be seeing entities. They could be seeing a form, and then the form appears to them as an alien, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it is. It could just be, again, like an apparition who is changing itself into an image, not unlike what they've done before, right? Why not? And so, uh, like, when I first got into demonology, one thing I had to do was I had to say, okay, demons are not what they're called, they're certainly not what they appear to be physically. Uh, so what are they, you know? And so I, I kind of designed a very uh, beneficial tool in understanding them. And, and that is to say, okay, what are they after? What is their behavioral pattern? I don't want to know the names. I don't know what the, you know, horns and hooves, whatever. But what are they doing, right? Because if they're doing the same things, then it kind of, it could appear, it appears most often that, that they're, they're after the same goals. And when we go into the UFO abduction phenomenon, it's very interesting because we have aspects of this that mirror in detail the Apocryphon of John. Number one, Dr. Carla Turner had an abductee by the name of Ted Rice. Ted Rice was abducted along with his grandmother. They were in a metallic room when an entity walked up to his grandmother, began to just kind of try to groom her into intercourse. When she looked at the entity, she said that I have only known one man in my life, and it's my husband. He's been dead for 11 years. Now, looking, like I said, assessing this phenomenon through behavioral patterns 
and understanding what happened in the Apocrypha of John, what do you think happens next? He morphs into her husband. An apparition of her husband comes out of the corner of the room and, and tries to groom her into intercourse. I'm going to ask a profound question. Just go with me. Was that her husband's corpse? I wouldn't what, say no. Right. Was it a clone of her husband? Possibly. Or was it just an apparition? Most likely, I would say an apparition. Right, right. All of these questions have to be asked, right? Because, I mean, that's where the research is. Um, so even moving beyond that, she also had, Dr. Collar Turner also had an abductee who said that she was abducted and during the exam, she was not cooperating with the entities and one of them got right up in her face and said, listen, if you do not work with us, if you do not obey us, he said, I want you to go look in the corner. And she did. And she saw another her, a clone of her body mm -hmm. laying on a table in the corner. And they said, if you do not cooperate with us, we'll kill you. And we will replace you with that body in no one will know the difference. Now, whose consciousness were they going to put in that body? Their own. Right. That just gives me chills, man. I'm just going to be honest. That's creepy. It makes sense. It does. Because the interview of Doc D that I interviewed, um, and, and I believe her, she was very, very sincere. Right. She said that they were impregnating her and taking the fetuses. Yes. And, and she also said that, that during one of her abductions, though, and this is the part that really bothers me, mm -hmm. is that she saw military, human military personnel there. Right. Right. That is fascinating. I think I know the same person because I, I was on their show recently. And I didn't even know who I was talking to. If it's the same person you're talking about, I, I didn't even know <laughs> that she had a movie made about her, right? I had no idea. And <laughs> I'm digging into this research, right? Her eyes are getting big. And finally, at the end of it, she kind of explained to me who she was. Man, I was speechless. You know what I mean? I was like, no wonder this makes so much sense to her. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, the missing fetus syndrome. Yeah, and she also said like like it was in her family. Like she wasn't the first person that happened. She's right. like a fourth generation abductees. Like, mm -hmm. and, and it makes it, it makes sense that these entities could just latch on to a certain family or or really be drawn to a particular um, DNA line. strand. Yeah, you're exactly right. And the way our ancient brothers and sisters interpreted that they interpreted it as horns and hooves. You know, these are angels that, you know, they're taking people and, and it's incubi and they're Nephilim and all this stuff. It's the same phenomenon. And the, the real scary thing to me is the question of, are they, are they molding themselves? Are they creating themselves according to, our belief systems like this is very very interesting to me uh, it, it's it's a lot like uh dr caller turner's book the 
masquerade of angels when she would have abductees who would be in an abductee, an abduction situation and they would call upon Jesus and Jesus would show up, but it would not be a Jesus that was historically accurate, right? It, it was almost like the Jesus, the Swedish Presbyterian and not Jesus, the Jewish rabbi of the first century. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they manifested that way because I guarantee you, statistically speaking, 97% of the population in America would see that Jesus as Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. That's why they did it. And so they literally, they literally molded the image of Jesus according to the memory and belief system of the abductee. Now, Again, that right there is a microcosm of what religion is. Man-made, and then something on the other side responds to it according to the belief system. I know that's getting deep, but but there is a large part in that, that, that that's at play here. That also makes sense because like when the topic of exorcism comes up, mm -hmm. it, it seems like the exorcisms themselves rely a lot have or heavily mm -hmm. on the belief system of the individual. If of course. like if the person is a Catholic or Christian, they're going to respond to, you know, crosses in, in right. holy water. If the person is from a pagan tradition, they'll respond more to maybe different herbs or a pentagram. Right. Exactly. It, it, it has its part in this. And so if it is, if they are, if they are appearing to us according to what we favor in incubus cases and succubus cases, if they're appearing to us in the religious dogmas that we have, I mean, like I said before, they didn't appear as the historical Jesus because that would have messed with their abductees theology. <laughs> mm -hmm. They just wanted, you know, they showed up in the appearance of whatever these these people were willing to believe in or what they did believe in. And so that's why, like, Dr. Carla Turner's work is paramount in my own research because she talks about that in depth. And she has abductees who uh, she one of them asked these entities, she said, are you guys angels? This goes back to Genesis 6. And they said, well, we are, but not in the way that you've been taught would make sense to me because we've been taught that angels are semi-divine, but, but in antiquity, the term malakim, that means deceased ancestors. So, so it's almost as if we're looking at a program where it's like a technology of consciousness. And, and there are things that obviously we do not know yet that they are privy to. And they don't really care if we know or not. They're, they're just going to do what they're doing, period, without our approval. And that's mm -hmm. concerning. Well, of course they are, because there's no consequence to them. Right, right. So, so, so why would they even concern themselves with that? Um, so these entities, um, well, two couple questions. I'll, I'll just say them before I forget them. <laughs> That's right. Um, one is, do you think that there, there's more to this than just them being human spirits? 
Um, did he possibly mix with other interdimensional type of entities? Uh, the, the other question I have is, are some of these spirits from a previous race of humans that got wiped out? Okay. To answer your first question, once they've died, they went into another dimension. That's the whole purpose of creating a body is so that it's stuck. It goes into this dimension and can exist in this dimension in a vehicle. Uh, but we got to understand that when people die, when these entities died, they changed. It wasn't like the, the they're 100% human. Um, ju just like uh, in the Bible, when Samuel died, and the necromancer called him back up. The Bible calls him an Elohim. In other words, he was a god. And so when we think of these molters as formerly human or the mortality challenged, we need to think of them in terms of not just being ghosts and apparitions, but there is what I call the monstrosity of death about them. And, uh, that that's the answer to that question. But the second thing is this. Um, I don't know. That's a very good question. Uh, to be honest, I mean, it would be very difficult to prove that some of these entities are because we don't know what preceded us in history. You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, think it, we're starting to find out that that yeah. our history is way off target. Oh, no, no, you no, know, no. and and that the idea of like Atlantis and Lemuria and you know a previous race of of advanced civilization whether it was human or something else existed on this planet right right i, I mean we we have like the paracus skulls and, and all kinds of of evidence to, to show that now you know mm -hmm. so so we know that you know everything the, the current theory doesn't really hold up anymore right and it shouldn't you know what i mean and that that's good that that means we're learning and we're interpreting the data like we should be but yeah, that goes back to my other point a while ago. It's it's not just, okay, they snatch the consciousness out of somebody, uh, but they're either putting someone back in there, right? Or mm -hmm. something. And that something aspect of it has haunted me just in the last month. Because <laughs> then that could be something non-human, you know what I mean? In a human body. That's mm -hmm. uh, It's a whole nother game. Could I be a demon? No, I mean no. I don't think so. Are you a demon? I, I don't know. I mean, could, could I mean could I, could I actually be a demonic entity in my body, living in a body that that was been there since birth, and I'm just not aware of it? No, and, that's, and, and maybe that's why I've been able to get away with so much nonsense, and not have oh to Lord. pay consequences. Don't start confessing. Don't start confessing. <laughs> You're like, maybe that's why I got away with <laughs> an hour later. We're all like, oh, my God, what? No, um, that, that was never what they were after. They weren't um, trying to put two consciousness in the same body. They were trying to put one consciousness in there. Yes, but how do I how do I know my consciousness is my own consciousness? Because you would know that you're not a demon, right? I don't know. I, I wonder if maybe if there's a possibility that they don't know they're demons. Um, not at all. Not at all. That, that was the whole purpose of taking the consciousness out. You know what I mean? So, so what we really have to be looking at is a corpse. 
it's just like a, a, in the missing fetus syndrome. They take the corpse, they take the fetus out. And, and so what would they do is they strip it of the consciousness and then place their own or someone else's in it. But that's a singular consciousness, right? There's only one consciousness in that body. There's not a double consciousness or a triple. And essentially what that entity does, though, is it grows up as if that's the body it was supposed to be in the whole time. And uh, so that would be my answer to you is if you have one consciousness in you and you do, are you a demon? That's that would be my best best response. Hmm. You're like, you're like, you're like, I don't know. Yeah, what? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I doubt that would be a demon, honestly, but I think if I was, I would probably know it and be taking full advantage of it. Right. You know, and I also don't th would think that I probably wouldn't have changed. Well, if you were a better. demon, you wouldn't be asking people if you were a demon. That's true too. Because it would be like, well, I don't want to draw any suspicion. But somebody has to ask these questions. It's my job. Yes, sir. <laughs> somebody, yes, somebody's got to research this stuff, man. I tell myself all that that all the time when I'm like, man, am I really researching this? <laughs> somebody's got to do it. Um, do you think they can take on? Um, is it just humans they're after, or do you think they also use like? plants and animals too well i think that as an apparition they can manifest as animals and we have case studies that include that phenomenon but in terms of um, a soul body a one body that's an awful way of putting it s-o-l-e by the way soul body but um you know in terms of having one skin suit and having and placing your consciousness in one body at one place at one time they're not going to manifest as anything other than that. You know what I mean? Because that's, that was their whole purpose. That's why they're there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had cases where they manifested in certain ways, uh, but that's not necessarily a molter who is, uh, who's worked itself into a new body. And right. now it has a nine to five job or something. And, and it looks like us, but it's not us. That was, like that would actually have to suck. Can you imagine being like a, a 5,000 year old entity and you're like stuck at um, um, being a cashier in a grocery store. Dude, I don't, I, I mean, mean, that, 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 that would be hell. That, I'm going to imagine that. <laughs> and then in their own mind, they're like, God, when I was alive, this bread was like five cents. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like <laughs> that would be crazy. Wouldn't like, Oh my God. Yeah, I, I wonder if like even like sometimes like maybe they look at it now and like you know what, I'm done with this. I I don't want to exist during this particular time period. It's exactly right. And, you and know, then I, they really just give up and go back to wherever they came from. <laughs> they're like, I think I'm just gonna go ahead and die now. I, I mean, they come down here and they're like, 2020? What the hell is this? I'm out of here. <laughs> Well, no, can you imagine if like coronavirus like wiped them out? Like, you know what I mean? Like, even they die. It's like, gosh, man, this is a really bad virus. It's killing Nephilim. Oh my God. I hate to laugh about that, but it's better. Sometimes if you don't laugh, you'll cry. But I mean, you have the Rephaim out here and they're thinking, man, I survived everything. And next thing you know, they're. They're hacking and coughing. It's like, dude, got you too. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. It's been rough. 
Maybe I can survive anything, but not this. <laughs> I don't know if anything can survive this year. <laughs> Seriously, I was there in Jerusalem. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, they 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 survived everything. Dark Ages, Middle Ages. They come to find out, it was Corona. Yep. But but I imagine some of them would get sick of it and move on. I would. You know, I, I, they have to reach a point where they've experienced every human experience and every human pleasure over right. and over and over again. That's just like, all right, I've had enough. You're right. And that goes what to the possibly maybe even change and say, you know what? I, I'm going to go the opposite way and start helping people out. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that's that's how, why this research is so precious, because. We, we need to understand more about them. We need to know what they're about. We need to know what they're after. Uh, because it's, it's not just, like I said, it's not just um, switching consciousness, but it's switching bodies. And, and we saw that first in the European folklore um, when we saw changelings, right? Mm -hmm. Where parents would go to bed one night and their baby's taken and other baby's replaced. And it's given, you know, they go into the, the, the bedroom and there's another baby there, but it's not theirs. See, again, that's them mutating. That's them evolving in their program and, and figuring out whatever loopholes. And, and honestly, giving us a baby and testing us and saying, are you stupid enough to believe that this is yours? Mm -hmm. Right? And if you are, okay, fine. If not, we'll return it. It's no different. Uh, the switching mechanism, it's no different uh, than the Middle Ages when these witches would go to their sabbats with these, which with what were actually corpses that were that were possessed. But anyways, they would uh, have incubus lovers and the incubus lover would send an apparition that looked like their, the, the woman. They would send an apparition into the bedroom at night. And then take their take the wife and replace her with that apparition to the point that the husband would get up to go to the restroom or, or get something to drink. He would look in the bed and, and, and to all account, you know, to all accounts, it would look like his wife was still with him and she wasn't. And they called that, you know, demon, demon worship and all that. But we would call that UFO abduction. Yeah. Because with Bud Hopkins' case in uh, the Bronx, they're literally pulling, it's almost like they're pulling our souls out of our bodies. It, it's just, I don't know, it gets so deep, but it's its interesting. It is interesting. Um, do you think that there are, you know, back, back to the government thing, do you think that there's humans cooperating with these demons to help them with their agenda? Yes. To yeah. what end or what, what purpose? I don't know that yet. I don't know that yet. Once I, once I get done with you, this. You must have a theory. Um, I'm sure you've thought about it enough to, to come up with some possibilities. <laughs> well, let's go into some possible theories here. Um, I would think, obviously, I would think that it would be a, um, an exchange of technology. Um, I would think there would be an exchange of bodies where it would not be um, them impregnating our women. It would almost be our government giving them children. Um, it would almost be, I would, I would say this, 
I know for a fact that these entities have always been interested in merging consciousness with metal. And so I would, I would think that that would be the rate of exchange where we would give them either children or, or whatever they want, probably babies. And then they would, they would teach us number one about the afterlife. Number two, uh, what happens at death, which is also included in that, but more than that, how to merge our consciousness with metal. Because when we look at the UFO phenomenon itself, just the UFO, it, it has to do with taking consciousness, placing it in metal, and using that metal almost as if it's a vehicle. And so when we witness these UFOs, we're witnessing what the ancients did. It's, it's an orb. It's, an, it's, it's a soul. It's a consciousness that it's operating underneath its own physics and its own abilities. And so we would say, okay, that's a UFO. To them, it's, it's consciousness and metal. Mm -hmm. um, I, I first discovered that, and I'm not, I'm not going to pay trail, but I'll just finish this point. Um, I first discovered that motif during a necromantic ritual that was often performed in the late Iron Age in the Old Testament. And uh, the way they would do it is they were called teraphim, and they, a man would go out and he would find a boy, a firstborn boy. He would kill him. He would behead him. And then he would take his head, place the head in a wall mm -hmm. in his house. They were called family gods. See, these are not demons, by the way. <laughs> uh, they were called family gods. And then they would take a piece of metal. We would call them implants, by the way take a small piece of metal and carve the name of an unclean spirit on it, place it underneath the tongue. And then that entity that, you know, whose name is carved on that piece of metal, that entity through some kind of technology, I don't know if it's the electromagnetic field, I don't know, but it would step in that consciousness would step in through the bar, through the name, into that skull, and communicate, speak through it. Hmm. That's where the implant originated, my friend. <laughs> wow, that's wild, man. Yeah, heck yeah, it is. So that's what we're dealing with. And so if there is a government conspiracy here, I mean, you better believe that that Again, even if they did tell us things, we don't know if they're telling the truth. <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I hate to say that, but if there is a conspiracy here, it would be um, probably most likely, and this is a theory of mine, which is what you asked for, right? It's, it's uh, giving them children and them giving us technology in terms of consciousness, metal, and an understanding of the afterlife. Uh, if we're giving them children, <clears throat> Um, why wouldn't we just give them clones? I mean, we clone our food. We clone animals. I don't know if we can't give them clones. No, that would be limited to our technology. And unless we have clones just standing around to give them. Well, I'm sure we do. I don't know. That's I mean, a because, we, because we clone animals. We clone food. Right. We do. So if we but, can clone animals and we, I'm sure we can clone humans. 
Well, okay. Well, let's look at their victimology. Just like they follow bloodlines and the UFO abduction phenomenon, they've also followed bloodlines in demonology. Right. Right. Same, same, same phenomenon, but different um, manifestations of it. So in demonology, we would call that aspect of it, um, what's it called? Generational curses mm-hmm. or entities that would follow the bloodline and manipulate the bloodline in terms of addiction or depression, you know, my mom was depressed or my uncle committed suicide and therefore I've been fighting it, that kind of thing. And so, you know, they, they hunt us. And that's a very, uh, very interesting aspect of it as well. It is. Um, so what did, how about Lucifer, Satan, Beasley, Bub, um, you know the, the biblical figures of evil. Yeah. Well, do they rule over the demons? Can they boss the demons around, or are the demons sort of rogue? These entities seemingly have an hierarchy. I cannot. I, I do not believe it's Lucifer because when you get into the linguistics of Lucifer, it. Did, that name did not originate until Jerome and the Latin Vulgate. So when you go to, you know, how art thou fallen, O Lucifer, the son of the morning, all that, that was essentially describing the king of Babylon in that time of history. That was not a uh, pointing to a supernatural entity that fell from heaven. That's what people wanted to be, but it was never that. It was never intended to be that. So prior to it being translated to Latin, everybody believed and everybody knew because of the language, okay, this is just a king that fell. Uh, Now, Satan is um, not, again, it wouldn't be who, what I was taught he was. He's not somebody that is anti-God. He does everything that God tells him to do. He's on a leash, right? Mm -hmm. That's why in Job, he went to God and said, okay, can I do this? It wasn't him doing it and then looking at God saying, no, 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 boo-boo, you know. So, so even more than that, uh, these entities, it seems to be, it's, it's not just that they, they have an hierarchy, but it's almost like they have a period of time, a period of time where they're allowed to do what they're doing, and then it's going to stop. Um, I say that because in Ezekiel 13, Yahweh describes them as soul hunters. And he, he's in their necromancers, but he says that, that these entities would go into homes in the middle of the night. They would uh, kill their, their victims in their sleep. They would separate their soul from their body. And then they, they would take a piece of their victim's flesh off of them. This is UFO abduction phenomenon. Yeah. And so anyways, Yahweh called them soul hunters and he says something that's unique. Because, you know, an exorcist is one who pulls the spirit out of a body, right? He exercises mm-hmm. the demoniac and whatever. Well, Yahweh does something different because he's not dealing with um, a possessing entity, right? He's dealing with, I mean, he is, but he, he in the sense of an entity who's created his own body. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not just a clone, but this is a body that it manufactured. And so Yahweh comes and instead of saying, I'm going to pull your spirit out of your body, he says, I'm going to pull your flesh off of your spirit. <laughs> okay. 
So, and he said, that's going to hurt, man. Oh God. Oh yeah. It's a whole different ball game. And then he makes having my skin ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that's what he says. I mean, you want to talk about violence. I've never even heard of that. Like just like you pull off a garment or a shirt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what he said. He's going to do to them. And then he says that he's going to lift up their skirt. Now that's an idiom, by the way. That's an idiom. What, what he's referring to is, I'm going to look and see if you're pregnant or not. Because these children are not theirs, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? He's, he's basically mocking them and saying, you're, you're telling everybody you have children. You're telling everybody that, you know, and they're not yours. You're not pregnant. You want everybody to think you are. You know, you've got kids everywhere. But those mm-hmm. aren't yours. There's somebody else's and yeah, but uh, yeah. So it, so, you know, my whole life I've heard that Yahweh was at war with fallen angels. I don't believe that at all. I believe that Yahweh is at war with these entities. And I have spoken to other researchers. Um, One of them is Steve Mara and Mara was talking to me one day about how that there are some priests out there in the Vatican who have secretly suggested that, the war that we were being told about in the Bible, it's not yet been won. It's still going on. I'm just going to throw that out there, mm-hmm. but it's worth considering. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that, that explains Tom Cruise. Yeah, no doubt, man. Who is Yahweh? Do you think Yahweh is God? Yes. In terms of the Abrahamic religion, he is He's the God of, yeah, he is. And, and I believe like, like Yahweh is actually like um, in Hebrew, is it yod Hey vav Hey? Yep. Tetragrammaton, yod Hey vav Hey. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that he's the God of the Bible. He's the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New. And he is species unique. Martin Buber, one of the great Hasidic scholars, said that God speaks a word and steps into it. So... Yeah, to answer your question, yes, sir. <laughs> why and why does he allow this to happen? I and mean, if he could just wipe these things out with a word, I don't think that's what's happening. I, I, I mean, obviously he's allowing it to happen, mm-hmm. but what has always concerned me philosophically is not just that he's allowing it to happen, uh, but that these entities are seemingly immune. You know what I mean? We have people that call on God and they just continue to do what they do. So there's only two possibilities or three. Okay. Let's, let's just say three. The first possibility is that God knows it's happening. It is not, is not just not caring, but he's allowing it to happen for whatever reason. Number two, um, God does know it's happening, but can't control it. Or God just doesn't know anything. Right. Forget not existing. I mean, either, you know, he exists, but he just doesn't know what's going on, which I think is not very, you know, accurate. But whatever is happening, it's 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 more than religion. It's almost as if they've been using religion to to hide behind as a mask. But what if and Yahweh? I, I think there's a fourth option. OK. What if Yahweh is one of them? One and done. Mm hmm. It's very possible. It's very possible. 
because yesterday's gods become tomorrow's demons. Maybe, and, maybe he fell off the wagon, forgot who he was. I don't know. That's, that's a huge philosophical argument. Um, but, but for whatever reason, these entities are operating under their own belief systems. And the hierarchy that I had mentioned previously was inspired by the fact that it's almost, it's, it's, it's almost like these, these entities, okay, the hierarchy has to be um, constructed based upon who died first, right? Mm-hmm. Who, or if not first, who died earliest? Because it's like these, these people who've lived and died when they molt their bodies um, and I've seen these this in uh, transient possession cases. It's like that they they enter into a world where uh, they're trying to adapt to a new belief system, new currency values, sometimes even a new morality, and then they're being taught how to stretch their consciousness back into skin. And we see that in transient possession. And if that's the case, then who is teaching them? Right. Yeah. And if that's the okay, who taught Nephilim how to do that? <laughs> so, so someone's educating them. It's not like they're just waking up and they're just signing in. What I'm going to go ahead and test myself? No, they're being they're being taught. And so that's one um, area of this research that I'm going to dive into. And it really does point to people who were the first to live and the first to die. And then when someone else came into that dimension, they said, okay, by the way, I'm going to teach you everything that you didn't know that you need to. And that's, that's going to be an explosive concept. I hope I, I hope I get to that uh, answer before I die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to hear your answer to that one. <laughs> That'd be fascinating, man. Have you considered Conjuring a demon and asking them. No, God, no, never. Why not? Well, um, because this is not a, to me, it wouldn't be a good idea. I've dealt with demons in homes before. And it's, you know, people can conjure demons and say, okay, it's a demon. Why is it a demon? Well, it tells me it's a demon. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, they, just like an abductee, they told me it's Jesus. And, and usually with a demon, it's always, okay, I'll be used and used and used until they want to use you. It's not a give and take. It's not a give and take. When these entities, it's like John D. and Edward Kelly, they they had an entity they thought was a beautiful handmaid, and they were going to be given the Enochic language. Right. Next thing yeah. you know, they, they swap. had to do the wife swap. Right, the wife swap, and then come back, and that entity's laughing at them, thinking, you idiots, right? And I'm not saying everybody who does that's an idiot. I'm, that's not what I'm saying mm-hmm. at all. I'm saying is that was basically her stance and her posture. I mean, it was like, okay, but what was the point of that? She manipulated them into doing something they wouldn't have ordinarily done. Um, so these entities, but, but, will... but they did acquire some knowledge, though. Oh yeah, they did. You know, I mean, granted, yeah, they paid the price, but they did get some answers. They got answers, but it destroyed them. Right. You know what I mean? You don't think it's worth the risk? Um, I would. Say, I would do it. Well, okay. I mean, I. I, would. I, I mean, if you wanted to come over. Mm-hmm. down here to Alabama and conjure a demon with me <laughs> to get these answers. Yeah. I would do it. It would be. Uh, I'm, be I'm fearless. Yeah. It's, you know, 
I don't know. I, I just wouldn't do it because I, I don't think the risk is worth the reward because it's just the reward like, could be saving a human race. Um, I doubt it. I don't think, I don't think the, the demon would be like, you know what? I'm going to help you save the human race. I just don't. I mean, the, these entities are like serial killers right. that the way they operate, the way they think. And I mean, if they're willing to appear to us as our spouses to gain consent, then they would absolutely appear to anything we would think as a demon for their, for their reasons, not really ours. Right. And that would be my, uh, I don't know. That's just my personal conviction. Yeah, I, I would. Just, my, mine is that I'm not going to be so afraid because I would think by now they're tired of us and, and tired of the whole game, and maybe they're willing to to give in. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's a possibility. But then again, they could be underneath a strict observance where they're not allowed to give us certain things. So they'll give us mm-hmm. what a little bit, you know. But 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 you think like if we went to Lucifer himself. But you, you don't think he has any dominion over them because he doesn't really exist because it was a misconception of words in the Bible, right? Um, so, so you you think that Yahweh would be the only person or entity that would be able to reveal the truth? I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't. I'm just saying that they, I don't think they would. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And and anything that and they're so far ahead of us intellectually that anything they would give us, we would consider, oh, my God, it's great phenomenon, you know, and all that stuff. They could very easily be saying, okay, it's a Trojan horse. Because anything that they do to us, it's not in our best interest. Never has been. It's always for their self-preservation. Like like even in the Middle Ages, with when witches would go to Sabbats, they would possess corpses and would seduce these women. And these women would, would swear to you that they were making love to, to a man or whatever they would call an incubus. And then during the actual love session, they would have three metallic probes in their body, metallic. And so that's when they would realize that this entire thing was an illusion that was created to gain consent in them. And now they're in the presence of something that Rudolf Otto would call holy other. It's unlike what they, they would ever thought it would be. And so that's why it's so, da- I'm sorry, I hit my microphone. That's why it's so dangerous, right? Uh-huh. To, to do that is because they've been, they've been showing up in whatever we want for years as whatever we want until they get us into a position that's compromising. And we could very well be hoodwinked in, in thinking that, okay, this is a real demon and it's Beelzebub and, and everything's going good. Meanwhile, something's going on behind the veil. And that's just, that's my personal view. And I'm not like pushing that on anybody. Right. <laughs> um, how about conjuring Yahweh himself? Um, it, it depends on your definition of conjuring. I mean, are we doing rituals and candles? Communications um, somehow? Yeah. Any, any way of, of trying to achieve a, a, a communication with the source itself. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done that before. I've had, because I, like I said, I grew up in the Christian tradition, but we never really conjured Yahweh. You know what I mean? We just conjured God. Right. And if you want to go in that direction, we didn't even know if we were talking to God or not. Mm-hmm. You don't. Because, right. Because like, like, okay, there is no biblical 
um, prohibition against drinking alcohol. There are scriptures that are for it. And there's some people, there's some scriptures that say, you know what, you know, don't be liberal about it, be conservative about it, whatever. And then there were traditions that the religion that I grew up in had that were definitely not biblical. Okay. They were just traditions that were man-made. And, and then I would be in services where we would have a preacher come in and would call people out of the crowd. This is crazy. This gets back to these entities masquerading. <laughs> they would call people out of the crowd and, and we called it word of knowledge, but the preacher would say, you know what? You've done a, B and C. And the guy would start crying and he, you know, repenting everything. And then in the back of my mind, I would say, but A, B, and C is not defined as sin in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So if that is not sin, and if that is a personal conviction in this movement, then what spirit is revealing that to this preacher? Right? Right. Where's he getting his information from? And so what I realized what that was that there were entities that were working with these people to as a as a delusion to strengthen their traditions and to give them manifestations. It's almost like the Philip experiment. Are you are you familiar with that? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Philip experiment was basically a group of parapsychologists who sat down sat sat at a table one day and decided to create a fake ghost. They gave it a name. They gave it um, a history. They told it it when it was born, when it died. They gave it everything. They gave it an age. They gave it a height, everything. And uh, then they called in a medium and didn't tell her anything about it. And in the seance, Philip came through. This is terrifying. It should be. At least it is to me. Philip came through. Guess what? Philip had a history. Whose history was? It was the history they gave him. Mm-hmm. So, again, these entities, in terms of a, the, the large, I mean, in terms of the phenomenon in general, these entities will manifest according to our belief system. And it's, it's either our memory that they're manipulating by giving us dream states and saying, okay, did you really see that? Or it's taking whatever dogma we have within and conforming their form or their their reality to it Uh and saying, okay, you know, did this really happen to you? And if it did, it's supposed to happen. And if it's not supposed to happen, it's still God. And if it's not God, it's angels. Mm. (laughs) And I'll shut up. I know I've been rambling, brother. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I don't know if I remember this correctly or not, um, but um, is, is your background like a Pentecostal? Yeah, yeah, I grew right? up in that movement. Okay, so how about like speaking in tongues? Right. Is, is that God speaking through people or is that something else communicating? Like what is happening there? I've seen both. I've seen people who... Um, would speak fluent Hebrew and in, 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 in their tongues, they would say, you know, they would look at like, look at somebody who was Jewish or something and would tell them, you know, you need to believe in God and all this stuff. There are other times when they would just speak gibberish, hmm. like it wouldn't make sense, you know, hmm. but I mean, let's look at that for a second, shall we? Because I was talking to my dad about this the other day. I said, let's look at this, this uh, 
afterlife phenomena that I've been researching and how it is that they first possessed idols and then they tried to merge their consciousness with metal. And then they used to, they, they would implant metal in our bodies with the names of demons on them and all that. And I said, but, but then in the new Testament, we have Jesus dying and now he's, his spirit is now no longer in his body. I mean, you know, in the purest sense, the strictest mm -hmm. sense, and then it inhabits a person. And then once it inhabits them, the way you know it's inhabiting you is because it speaks through you. And now you speak in a different language. That's, I'm not saying it's demonic possession. I'm uh -huh. saying that no wonder people in antiquity thought it was, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of like, wait a minute. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I, I, I worked with a guy uh, who was Pentecostal and, and every time I pissed him off, he would start just speaking gibberish. Right, right. You know, like I know it wasn't Hebrew because, you know, I know enough about Hebrew about what it would sound like, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Like I, I really just didn't know how to, uh, you yeah. know, I didn't know what was happening, really. You know, like, it's not something I have like a, a real deep understanding of. Well, you know? I don't. I've never. I mean, if somebody did that around me, even though I grew up in Pentecostalism, I'd be like, "Dude, that guy's out of it." That's just not how it works. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like okay, God got really pissed off at you, so he's going to start speaking in tongues. Like mm -hmm. that's just not how it works. <laughs> I hate to say that, but like, <laughs> I'm super angry, and then just no. No. How about handling serpents? No, Stay man. Handling. <laughs> no. See, all right. There's like one percent of the Pentecostal population that do that. Most of them. It, are the it's, isn't that the um, apostolic? Um, it's it's really not. See, that was no. that was meant to be like when if you would encounter a snake on accident, right? It wasn't like I'm going to go to you know PetSmart and get me a. a, a I don't know, some, some poisonous snake and, and uh, water moccasin. I'm going to go home and get bit five times. And then, you know, if I live, you know, cool. If I die, I die. You know, I saw, but I guess my point is it was never supposed to be like that. It was always supposed to be on accident. Mm -hmm. And people have misinterpreted that passage. And I was even watching a YouTube video and I, it's awful, but it's like, you know what? It's kind of obvious, but this guy, um, he was snake handler and he's like, you know what? He's like, he quoted that scripture and he's got scars on his hands of him getting bitten. And he's, he's he has a snake in his hand and the person interview him goes, you know, so you said that your father and your grandfather did it. He goes, yes. He goes, so what happened to him? He said, well, they got bitten by a snake and died. And it's like, doc, you know, kind of makes me makes me think you probably shouldn't be doing it <laughs> you know i mean i'm not saying it's a generational curse uh-huh but i mean if this is the bloodline where it's like dude you know like i just anyways i don't want to ramble man but yeah that's no, it's, it's cool man i got all night what not, that's not a very sophisticated interpretation it's actually um the laziest interpretation of that passage i've ever encountered and sadly people lump the rest of the sophisticates in Pentecostalism with that, because, you know, I know a lot of people that have doctorates in Pentecostalism that are very intelligent. Mm -hmm. It's just, 
you know, if your grandfather died of this, your dad died of it, and you got you barely survived your last bite, what are you doing? <laughs> it's something I've always wanted to see. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I think there is a church down the street from me that does it. Yeah, one day I'm gonna hit up one of their services just to check it out. And you know, I'm sure they're great people. Honestly, I, I just think that there needs to be a little bit more thought put into it um, because it's not like God's going to be like, man, they misinterpreted that scripture. I'll raise them to life or I'll, you know, I'll help them. No, God's going to be like, dude, that's pretty dumb. Just don't go out there, get bit by snakes and claim it's, you know, I did it. And that's just my humble opinion. If if God has the ability or, or Jesus had the ability to raise the dead, would that make them a necromancer? Um, not really, because he wasn't putting someone else's spirit in them. He was, he was, he was putting their own spirit back in their body. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. So this, that's a whole different concept, but, um, no, he wasn't a necromancer. He just, you know, he revived them in, in the way I just described. So whole different thing, Bob. <laughs> Thankfully, right. Thankfully. <laughs> Um, so what do you think is the origin of evil? Um, is it just mankind or, or do you think that there is a hell? And a hell, I, I don't think there's a hell in terms of what people, many people believe it's, it's not just, okay, I'm going to go be punished for as long as God lives. Because even philosophically speaking, you have a man that only lived for 70 years you, you mean that even, you know, the, the, the easiest center, you know, somebody that didn't go kill and rape anybody, but, you know, somebody that didn't believe in God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you mean to tell me that he, he didn't believe in God for 70 years, but he gets to be punished for eternity? That's kind of whacked. It's harsh, yeah. I mean, yeah, harsh. <laughs> you know, or, 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 or not receiving the sacraments or whatever. Yeah. No, I think evil is... A unique word, because what's evil to me is not necessarily evil to somebody else. Uh-huh. And whenever death entered the world, whatever death is, we we can say it's 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 the ant. It's not okay. We could say it's the anti presence. You know, it's not the absence of presence. It's the anti presence. It's presence, but it's anti. And, and so it's it's like the enemy of life, uh, because I do think that that's what we're dealing with right now in this phenomenon. We're not dealing with just disincarnate entities. We're dealing with death in the form of consciousness and a form of energy and that that it seems to be alive around us, but it's not really alive. It's just encased in skin. Mm-hmm. And so whatever this evil is um, we know that it has an understanding that eclipses ours. It knows things about us biologically that we do not yet know about ourselves. We can call it our lack of technology, but truthfully it's just the fact that they were in one room and then they died and stepped out into a bigger room. (laughs) And then they said, okay, I got everything else that's out here. I'm going to go back into that smaller room. And now they're living amongst us. Uh, so, so evil is a very problematic thing because you can go into prison 
you can have a serial killer who would kill everybody else, but would, but would never touch their own family. Mm-hmm. So is it pure evil? Cause this, and I'm not going to get into philosophy, but is it pure evil? You know, is it evil, evil, or is it just partially evil? And uh, I don't know, but yeah, that, that would be my response. It gets, mm. sometimes gets too deep. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that sometimes in some cases, like, um, this is pretty dark though, but I'm going to ask oh, anyway, because I'm curious. Um, like, like, you know how, like every once in a while we have like these mass shootings. Mm-hmm. Do you think these are some type somehow demonically related? Um, to a degree, a lot of these mass shootings, um, some of them are from people who have been manipulated by these entities. I mean, you know, the people that have been depressed or rejected uh, by their friends in school and these entities will, will use that, right. They'll use that as an access point mm-hmm. and they will possess them. They'll, they'll take con- control. But even in the act of possession, there is a tacit agreement. There's, there's a covenant being made where um, I will make you feel empowered and, and all of this. And then you go do a, B and C and for some reason, you know, they, they just, they do it. And we, we don't yet know, I mean, I've done some of the research in it, but we don't yet know the thoughts that are being sent to these people. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's mirroring their original thoughts. Like, you know, if they have thoughts of inferiority, mm-hmm. of them would say, you know what, you're not worthy, you're ugly, you're short or you're fat or whatever. And it would try to manipulate those, uh, but it has to be more than that. It has to be these entities knowing these individuals inside and out and pulling on their heartstrings in ways that would cause them to not just think about their acts, but to do them, to perform them. And then at the very end, usually it's suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I would absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah. uh, And the reason I think that as that question, because it just seems like such an unnatural, unhuman thing to do. Right. You know, it goes against almost everything that a human has, our basic instinct for survival. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's the acting out. And before they acted out, they acted in. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing is the manifestation of the violence that has been occurring in their soul. Um, but I mean, I've had cases where they, they were never school shooters or anything like that, but they had suffered from that kind of fascination and uh, not, not, not even in killing people, but just wanting to either harm themselves or writing poetry about that stuff. And uh, the thing is, and I teach this to everybody that comes to me, it's better to prevent than it is to intervene. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, so it's a very interesting subject as well. Hmm. So I guess that's one of the reasons why you wouldn't want to conjure something. No, heck no. Because these, again, you can conjure what you think is a demon. Next thing you know, you have a shadow figure staring at you in the face. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it may not be there for reasons you, you're, you're, you know of. I mean, it could be doing something on the side and you're not aware of it. Like there have been cases where um, even with Ouija boards, just playing with Ouija boards. Next thing you know, you go to bed at night 
you're getting ready, you know, you use the restroom, go get your water, whatever, make sure everything's okay, set your alarm, go to sit down in your bed, and there's a shadow figure on the bed staring at you. Never happened before. But because that channel was open, right. it really didn't matter what the intention was, right? Mm-hmm. It was open. And now it feels like it has authority. And then people like me will have to go in there and say, okay, I'm going to do a cleansing. And it's like, okay, how do I cleanse this? Because it feels like it has authority to be here. (laughs) Makes things harder. Um, Do you think it's dangerous to explore other dimensions? I mean, human beings certainly are, based on, on my research anyway, human beings are sort of naturally interdimensional anyway. We seem to have natural ability to go out of body, experience other things, obtain information like Akashic record information. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it seems like we're, we're we're able to do a lot more than what we normally would think we could do. Mm-hmm. Do you think those type of activities are dangerous um, and leave not- us vulnerable? Um, it depends on what activities they are. I think that any activity that includes um, saying a name, like, you know, a Ouija board, or I, there's actually other rituals that include that as well. But, you know, saying a name, I'm calling upon A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, look, look at the way modern conjurers do this, okay? It's okay. Like, if, if they're a candle conjurer, if they do candle magic and everything, it's like, okay, if you're here, blow this candle out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or... Or, uh, you know, if, if, if you're here right now with me, I want you to move this. Give me a, give me a sign. And it's uh-huh. like, it, is it possible that another spirit can also blow a candle out? Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, that's pretty easy. You know, that's just, that's pretty easy. I mean, I could blow a candle out. <laughs> it, they can too. I mean, they're even more powerful. So, right. so it's, it's almost as if it's very dangerous because they will masquerade. They've already masqueraded as men. They can masquerade as angels. Who's to say they can't masquerade as demons? Or at least the demon you're calling upon. Mm-hmm. Even so, if it helped you. And I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. Right. So, so I'm kind of leaning towards more of the astral travel, remote viewing, stuff like that. I, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, if you're trained and you know what you're doing. Because uh, I have a good friend of mine who's a... Um, remote viewer she's very you know she's been on tv shows she's very accurate and just an all-around great person she yeah, knows I think we know the same person yeah there we go bud <laughs> Hi, cyber high five there we go <laughs> uh, you know she's amazing but that's not to say that if you're untrained that you shouldn't do it i mean i, I had a person that uh heard a show i did and i was talking about the scarifications during possessions and different stuff and the molters and whatnot and he got a hold of me because his father was a renowned remote viewer who was untrained but he was a remote viewer nonetheless and uh, he said his father would lay on his bed and he would leave his body and uh, then he would like get messages from these entities then come back in his body and he would give them to his family and everything and he even took pictures of some of his writings and uh, he said his father was powerful he said man he said there were nights when i'd be playing video games and my father would call me downstairs and then it would be pitch black. Mm-hmm. And my father would say, sit down next to me, son. There's someone here with us that wants to talk to you. And then he would just start giving him messages. 
And at first, his father was, uh, you know, doing a great job. He was he would actually help the local community. Like he would have the mayor there. Sometimes the governor would stop by and he would give messages to the government and to the city and, and you know, was successful, like, you know, was beneficial to the community around him. And he said, but then there was one night when he said, my father went into his room to, to uh, remote view. And he said about 30 minutes later, his father came out of his room screaming uh, like a madman. He said he was inconsolable. He was crying. And he had a heart attack and fell on the floor. And he said, when we, we got him to the hospital, we, they, they medicated him. When they finally got him calmed down, they noticed that underneath his hospital gown, that there were what it looked like, according to the pictures that he sent me, what looked like Egyptian hieroglyphs carved into his chest. And he had asked him, Dad, what happened, man? And he said, well, son, he said, I, I went to the place that I've always gone. He said, my spirit left my body. And he said, I had, I had that golden cord, is what he called it, that connected me. Mm -hmm. And he said, I went into a room and I saw the entities that I'm familiar with. I went to them and I asked them what the word was. This is very unique. I've never heard of anything like this before. But I guess he had a password that he was given. And these creatures told him, if you are where you're supposed to be, and if you're, you're with us, we will know your password. And when we give you that word, that's when you, you can say, okay, I'm comfortable and you know, everything is uh, going according to plan. He said, but this night, that didn't happen. He said, I showed up into a room there were entities lined up on the left and right sides. And he said, one of them stepped forward and I went to him and I asked him, what's the word? And he said, they didn't know it. And when they realized they didn't know it, they got angry and they changed their appearance. These are molters. These are soul hunters. And he said, they changed their appearance. And when they did, he said, it was horrifying. He said, he said they were inhuman. It looked like something out of a movie. And he said that that threw me back into my body. Now, whenever he would meet these particular entities, he would, once he got into his body, he, this, this man told me, he said, we would actually have film of these, these signs and symbols being carved into his skin. And they were amulets. Some of them were upside down crosses. Mm -hmm. um, some of them were Star of David's, but this particular time it was like like Egyptian hieroglyphs. But that that's my point. Um, if you're trained in it, it can be very beneficial, right? Like that the individual would both know. But if you're not, and you just go out there and say, you know what, I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do, it, you can very easily do what this gentleman did and encounter entities that are not there to help you. They'll harvest you. And did he continue doing it no. after that? experience no, he this well okay according to this 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 man he said that his dad was changed after that um he said that every like his whole life changed the his dad actually had a heart attack that night and he said his dad's gifting changed to where now it was like he was working with these entities and it was never good he said he, he never helped people anymore he said he would only use what they told him for himself. 
And, you know, just goes to show you, number one, that these soul hunters do exist. Number two, um, with remote viewing, it's a powerful tool. It's even more powerful than a Ouija board, but it can be equally, if not more dangerous, if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, uh, you should see the pictures. Um, oh, my God. You, it, it looks like it, it, it was fascinating, but these entities. Uh, Do you it, have them? Could you send them to me? Yeah, I'll send them to you. I'll send them to you right after the show. But um, what, what's interesting as well is this. Are they scarring the soul first? Right? And then, and then what's happening is that when the soul steps back into the body, whatever is on the soul manifests on the yeah. body. I, I would assume that. Yeah. Just, just like people who have, okay, like, you know, uh, who have former lives who were like shot to the neck. And then when they're reborn, they have a birthmark. Right. Right. Yeah, when they were shot. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Stuff, man. Really interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Where so 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 you say your order is your book is now available for pre-order? Yeah, yes, sir. It's uh the link is on my Instagram page. All right, you're gonna have to send me that link too. Yeah, yeah. So I can put it in the notes of this episode so yeah. uh, my listeners can get it. Yep. It's called The Skin That Crawls. Now, I think this book is definitely gonna make my skin crawl. <laughs> well, once I get it out, um, now I will say I'm 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 behind, but not for like a bad reason. Um, it was for pre-order. It was up for pre-order October 31st. I was supposed to be done with it by the end of this month. I discovered a new aspect, like a new portion of the research that I want to add to it because mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to write a second skin that crawls. I want it to be in this. Um, so just to let everybody know, because I don't want people to think, man, I ordered it and then it's not here yet. It's not there yet because I, I want to make sure it's the best version of it I can get to you. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, but yeah, that'll be out. Once I get that out, I'm looking to, um, my next goal is to either make it into a movie or make it into a TV series That's so awesome. we can actually get this information out to people in a very pal palatable way. Yeah, I'll have to try to uh, convince you to send me an autographed copy. <laughs> for sure, man, for sure. I love it when my guests send me autographed copies of their books. Heck yeah, bro. I'm starting a little collection. <laughs> I bet you got a large library then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I do. laughs> you had to think about it for a second. You're like, yeah, I do actually. But yeah, man, it's, it's been a pleasure being on with you again. And I was excited when Michelle told me about it and yeah, you know, me it's too. Always a good time. Always a good time. Yeah. Cause, cause there was so much we didn't cover on the last episode. <laughs> And yeah. I think I was I was a little bit more prepared this time too. Yeah, you, you were. Uh, yeah. It's good, man. It's, especially after some of the previous interviews I've done and, and learned more things about this topic. Oh yeah, you know it's it's a deep subject. It's a dark subject, but at the end of the day, it has to be talked about because this information needs to get into the right hands. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and like you know, we don't know why this is happening. You know. Right. And, and I think that's important. And you always acknowledge that because it seems like no matter how many times I ask you, mm -hmm. you you're always really honest. You're like, well, we really don't know. Right. And, We're um, groping in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it could just be a simple matter of bouncing energies 
mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to keep everything together. Right. Um, or it could be something worse. <laughs> we don't know. And that's where it's pointing to. And that's the concerning part about this. But, yeah, definitely. All right, man. Thanks for being on. Man, thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's an honor. And uh, I know we covered a lot this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome back anytime. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great night. You too, Bob. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.